Amen. First off, I want to give honor to honor is due tonight, and that's to God himself tonight. How many are glad that we are in his presence, that we are glad to be in his house together to worship him? But also tonight, I honor Pastor and his wife and family for opening the door for me to minister tonight. I, I'm so thankful for you, so thankful for you. And also, we give honor to the word of God, which we will now turn to tonight, turning to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12. Just say amen when you get there. All right, I heard one. (laughs) All right. The scripture reads, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites' merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Tonight we're going to be talking about coming out of a pit and going to a palace. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have to come into your presence. I pray, O oh God, that Lord, as I preach the word you gave me, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would come and would open our hearts to hear what you are speaking. God, open our eyes, Lord God, to see what you are doing. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you will truly minister to our hearts. So, Lord, even through the person ministering to the person in the back, oh God, all over this room, we will not leave the same as we came in. But, God, tonight I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will open our ears to hear what you will our hearts to receive. Amen and amen. And so, we open the story of Joseph. And Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers who were out grazing their flocks. 
But the thing about it was, as we read, Joseph's brothers absolutely hated him. Why did they hate him? Well, number one, he was daddy's favorite. Joseph could do no wrong in dad's eyes. In fact, it was because Joseph was the son of Rachel. Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved. As we all know the story, when, jo- when <clears throat> Jacob had went to Laban to hide from Esau, his brother, to run away from him, he saw Rachel and he worked seven years for her. But then Laban gave him Leah, which was the father of his of Joseph's bro- which was the mother of Joseph's brothers. But he didn't necessarily want Leah, and so he worked another seven years for Rachel, the one that he loved. And so when Joseph came along, Joseph was the product of Jacob's 14 years of hard work in order to get the one that he loved. And so, Joseph could do no wrong in his father's eyes. He was what we call the baby of the family. How many of y'all know that when you're the baby of the family, you can get away with anything? How many, how many of us in here are the younger ones in the house tonight? Me, I, I ain't the younger one. I was the older one. Yeah, that, I was blessed with that responsibility, amen? <laughs> now, my little brother, on the other hand, was the younger one. And he gets away with things that I would never get away with. And so, his brothers looked at him this way. In fact, their father even made it an ornate robe, is what the Bible says. A coat of, of many colors that we know about. And what's very expensive to make. And his brothers are probably looking at that robe and going, man. We, don't, we didn't have it as good as Joseph does. Dad just gave us his old hand-me-downs when he was a shepherd in the fields. We got the old stinky clothes, and, J- and Joseph gets this new robe. I mean, Dad just loves him more than us, and they absolutely hated him for it. But there was more to it than just Joseph being the favorite son, because Joseph was also a dreamer. Joseph had dreams of his brothers bowing before him, And them looking at him with with reverence, which was not supposed to happen at this time. The younger brother was supposed to be reverent to the older. But in Joseph's dreams, this role was reversed. And naturally, being the younger brother, he didn't know that, hey, you just need to keep your mouth shut and not brag to your older brothers and, and sisters about this. And so they really disliked Joseph because not only was he dad's favorite, but he liked to just remind them about his dreams. He liked to remind them, hey, guess what? Y'all are going to bow down to me one day. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. And so what happened was, is because of this, when they saw Joseph coming up the road, coming to check on him, they took Joseph and they threw him down a well. Could you imagine how much they must have hated Joseph in order to take that, that little brother that they saw grow up, flesh of their flesh, blood of their blood, and just throw him down a well. And that was actually the better option. Most of them wanted to just go ahead and kill him. I tell you what, they were so bound up in their jealousy, they were so bound up in their hate of Joseph, that every notion of, hey, that's my brother, or hey, that's my family, just went out the door. Let me tell you something, church. We have to be careful of that in the house of God. We have to be careful of that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we get to the point 
where we begin to think and say, man, that person who's really getting under my skin, they better not come around me today. Or man, that, that person, you know, if they say this to me, I'm going to be able to put them in their place. I know the words to say, I got them lined up. I want to murder them with my words. Let me tell you, if you ever get to that point, you better check your heart. You better check your heart. Because before that person was ever your brother or sister in Christ, they were a child of God. They were a child of God created in His image. And even more so, when they come into the family, when they accept Jesus Christ and begin to believe on Him, and they become truly your brother and sister in Christ, then people, we have to reach out in love and compassion. We can't be like Joseph's brothers and just say, well, they did this and this, so we're just going to despise them and throw them down a well. We're just going to leave them. But listen here, I'm not saying that there's never room for correction there's never, or there's never room for reproof. But Scripture does say in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what measure you met it out, well, first it says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you met it, you will be measured according to it. So let me tell you something. It's okay to say, hey, you ought not to be doing this. Hey, you ought not to be doing that. Hey, why are you, why are you acting this way when a Christian should act this way? But that needs to come from a place of love for that person. It needs to come from a place of, I want to see you transformed in the power of God and in a right relationship with God because I know I can't walk the road alone and at some point I'm going to need you to walk down it. And so if we do that, if we, if we correct people with, the love and, with love and with hope and under the spirit and power of God giving us the words to say, then we can trust that same grace to be meted back to us. Because, let me tell you, when you do things God's way, it goes a lot better than our ways. And so Joseph's brothers threw him down a well. And guess what? They bring him out later, later on, only to sell him into slavery. So this whole time, Joseph is at the bottom of the well. And he's sitting there. He doesn't know what's going on up, up, up at the top. He doesn't know what's happening. And I can just see it right now. His brothers throw down the rope to him to bring him back up. And Joseph's probably thinking, oh, yeah, that, that was a good one, guys, good one. Now we can just all joke and go home to dad. But that, that wasn't the case. They only wanted to bring him up to sell him into slavery. Moral of this story is that not everyone who drags you out of a hole is there for your good. Not everyone who offers to get you out of trouble is there for your benefit. I'm reminded oftentimes of, of a man down in Colombia named Pablo Escobar. If y'all know him, y'all know how, he, how evil he was during his time there. The things that he did building the, an empire based on narcotics and cocaine and violence. But when he first began to really make his impact there, he would go to the small poor villages there in Medellin, Colombia, where he was at. And he would begin to build houses for those who didn't have houses. He would build schools for those who, them who didn't have schools. Hospitals. It looked like he was being a good, upstanding citizen. But it was only 
to have influence over them. It was only to have influence over them, to draw them into his corrupt empire. So that he would go back to them and say, hey, I need you to do this, or I need you to do that, and they'd do it. So I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you tonight, if you are in a hole, if you feel like you're in a pit like Joseph was, don't just grasp after every rope that drops down. Don't just go after every, everything that says, hey, this may get me out of it. Because how many know this? That when an animal is trapped, the hunter doesn't release him for, that benefit, for the benefit of the animal. Is that not right? Is that not right? Let me tell you something tonight. If you're in a hole, if you're in a pit, as Joseph was here, wait on God. Wait on the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. Because if you just grasp for any rope that drag you out, you very well could be going into slavery. You very well could be on your way to Egypt. You very well could be on your way to being out of the will of God at that moment. So people tonight, let's do as Isaiah instructs and wait upon the Lord. Let's wait upon the Lord. So Joseph, he's, he's bold as a slave, and he's taken to Egypt. And we pick up his story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And it reads, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master household, master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. All his house affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So we scratch up the story of Joseph here and he's sold to Potiphar and becomes a slave in his house. But God blesses Joseph. And Potiphar makes him over the operations of his house, and God blesses him. To the point where, as we just read in Scripture, all Joseph had to worry about was what he was going to eat that day. Could you imagine that? Where your only worry day to day is, hey, what's going to be on the table when I get home for dinner? What's going to be there, there for lunch today? Where your biggest problem in life is, man... The wife made potato salad, and I really wanted fried chicken. That's your biggest worry in life. We can see that Joseph was having a good life. So Joseph had this freedom for, from worry, and yet he was still a slave. But the story doesn't end there. Things are about to turn even worse for Joseph, it seems. So Potiphar's wife makes her romantic advances toward Joseph as we know the story. 
And Joseph, he, he refuses, so she lies on him, and he gets thrown in a pit again, in an Egyptian prison. And in chapter 39, verse 19, we pick up the story once again. So Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything and the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to secede. So even in prison, God blesses Joseph to the point where he's running the prison as an inmate. Could you imagine that? What if, what if the county jail here just decided one day that, hey, this inmate, he's been so great and so good. You know what? We're just going to give him, up, just run the jail. He's going to run everything. Finances, everything. He determines who's on shift and all of this. Could you imagine that? That's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. But yet, God blesses Joseph in the place of his cursing where it seems like it, he needs to be despaired and discouraged. He blesses him to the point where the unthinkable happens. Joseph begins to secede. Joseph begins to move forward. Because even when Joseph is in prison, even when Joseph is in a place of despair, God is still with him. And let me tell you something. Joseph was a slave and a prisoner and was blessed. He, God blesses him in places where others would have said he was cursed. God took what man meant for evil and turned for Joseph's good. And as I said, Joseph was a prisoner and a slave, but God blessed him. How blessed are we? How blessed are we? How blessed are we in our positions in life? Because I look around this room today, I don't see slaves. I look around this room today, I don't see prisoners. <clears throat> but let me tell you something. We're pretty blessed. We're pretty blessed. To even to the point where you think you're in a place of discouragement as Joseph was. You just need to, to look up to God and say, Lord... What's your will? God, why do you have me here? And begin to count the blessings in your life. There used to be something that, that was taught to me as a boy, and it was to count my blessings. To count the things that God had done for me. Because how many of you know that his mercies and his blessings are new every morning? No matter where I am, no matter where I am, even as the psalmist said, even if I make my bed in hell, God is still with me. And if God is still with me, I'm still blessed. Am I not right? God can bless you wherever you are. Because Joseph, Joseph was in a place of despair. Joseph could have looked around and, and said, Lord, how did I even get here? Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph had dreams. He had aspirations. 
He had dreams of greatness. Yet he was at the bottom. But you know what Joseph did? He worked. He pressed through. He pressed on. And the Lord blessed him. So let me tell you tonight. When we go through things, we need to keep doing the work of God. We need to keep pressing forward and moving on. Because God will give us the strength to do it. Amen? God will give us the strength. And so, now we're going to turn to another turn in the story. We're going to make ourselves pretty much right there with Joseph. Coming out of the prison again. The first time he came out of a pit, he was sold into slavery. But now... Joseph is going to come out of a prison and he's going to experience what it means when God brings you out. And so while Joseph was in prison, across the Nile River in Egypt was Pharaoh's house, was the palace. And at that night, Pharaoh began to toss and began to turn in the grips of a nightmare. And he became so troubled by his dreams that he awoke and he asked, Hey, does anybody know how to interpret a dream? I need someone to interpret this dream. It is keeping me from my rest, from my sleep. It is so troubling to me. And about that point in time, Pharaoh's cupbearer, here's Pharaoh. And this is years later after another incident when that cupbearer was in prison. And he had a dream as well. A dream that troubled him. A dream that he couldn't shake. And so he went to Joseph. And Joseph interpreted the dream for him. And it gave him peace that everything was going to be fine. And okay. And so... Joseph comes to his memory so many years later. All the while, Joseph's been working in the prison. And so the cupbearer turns to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, I know a man. I know a man who can interpret your dream. I know a man who can interpret your dream that is troubling you so. And he said he's in the prison and his name is Joseph. If you bring him here, he can interpret your dream. Let me tell you something right now. Joseph had no idea that that cupbearer was going to do that with Pharaoh. So let me tell you something. When you are in your pit of despair, in your pit of discouragement, and even though it doesn't look like the hand of God is moving for you, trust me, it's moving on your behalf. You don't know what people are talking about behind closed doors. You don't know what people are talking about in back rooms. You don't know what's being decided in regards to you with God's hand upon it. All we have to do is trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. So you don't know what God's going to do. Just trust and obey. Amen. And so Pharaoh sends his men to the prison. And they bring Joseph to Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh tells him about his dream. He tells him about the seven good, <clears throat> good bundles of grain that are there. That are devoured by the seven bad bundles of grain. And he also tells them about the seven fat cows in his dream. And then about how out of the Nile River came seven diseased, starved cows that devoured the seven full ones. I tell you what, that's a complete mystery to me as I read it. So I imagine what it must have been like for Pharaoh. But for Joseph, who had an answer from God, the answer was clear. And Joseph turned to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, what your dream means is that for seven years you're going to have plenty. You're not going to have to worry about how much grain is going to come in. You're not going to worry about how much livestock you're going to have. You don't have to worry about it. Because you're going to have seven years of plenty, seven years of surplus, and everything is going to be great. But after that seven years, Pharaoh, there are going to come seven years of famine. A famine so great that if you do not prepare for it, it will destroy your kingdom, destroy your people, destroy you. And so Pharaoh looks at him and says, Joseph, what, what, what can we do about it? And Joseph said, look, have somebody put in charge during the seven years of plenty to take a percentage of whatever is the surplus and put it aside for the, for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh is so touched by Joseph, is so struck by his insight, that he appoints Joseph to be second in command of all Egypt and puts him in charge of the effort to preserve that surplus for the years of the famine that was coming. And if you know the story well, you know that Joseph did just that, and he oversaw it, and Egypt was spared during the famine, but not just Egypt, so was his family. Joseph's very family that threw him in the well was preserved through him. Joseph's dreams came true. As his brothers came to him and they, and they bowed before him for help. And so what we see in the life of Joseph. In this, in this drama of a human story that we see. Is a person that is really going in between palaces and pits. Because in the beginning... He's favored by Jacob. He's in a palace with his father. He can do whatever he wants. Then his brothers throw him into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's thrown into another one as he's thrown in prison. But yet God brings him up back to the palace. Back to where he can have an impact for the kingdom. And I'm here to tell you tonight that tonight... Even though you may feel as if you're in a pit. And some of us tonight, we don't even have to feel it. We know it. God can bring you out. Just like he did Joseph. Because God is no respecter of persons. What he has done for others, he will do for you. So as we stand tonight.
as we stand tonight. There is one thing that is common in the story of Joseph, and that's a narrative of trust. Joseph trusted in God, and God brought him through. One of my favorite songs ever written was by Andre Crouch. And he wrote a song called Through It All. And when asked about the song years later, he says, Many of the songs I've written speak to me as far as telling me the process of how to get through things. Through It All in particular lets me know you have a lot of experiences in life and you must learn to trust Jesus. Because as another song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so tonight, I just want us to realize that we can trust in Jesus like Joseph did. Whether we're in the pit, whether we're in the palace, whether we're in the prison, we can trust in Jesus. And he won't let us down. And so one of my favorite verses from through it all goes something like this. I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. And I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. If you know the chorus, let's just sing it together. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Amen. Amen. Tonight, can we just lift our hands together? Can we just pray together? Lord, we thank you tonight for your presence. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that, Lord, you are with us wherever we go. That your word says you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. But, God, you are always with us. And not just with us, oh God, but you know what we go through. Because your word says that Jesus, he knows what we go through. Because Jesus experienced what we experience. Nothing catches you off guard. There is nothing that we can go through, O oh Lord, that you don't know how we feel. And so tonight, God, we give you thanks and we give you honor. We give you glory. Amen. Amen. And so tonight before I give the call to the altar, I was in a setting at, at Lee University 
where they were talking about the concept of suffering. Why do people go through what they go through? And one of my friends was on a panel and he was asked that question. It was like, well, how does God view it? How does God view our suffering? And he probably gave one of the most profound answers I've heard. And it's this, that Jesus turns to him. And he says, look at the nails, scars in my hands. Look at the place in my side. Look at the scars in my feet. Me too. Me too. I know what you go through. I suffer with you. And let me tell you something. So tonight, we have this confidence that Jesus Christ has suffered as we do. And not only that, but we can count it as a blessing. As the scripture says, to suffer as Christ did. Because we know that as another song goes, the heart of the battle, the sweeter the victory. And that's the whole point of it, is that Jesus Christ experienced that suffering. Not so that we would never have to go through it, but that when we do, we know he'll bring us out. And so tonight, I think this altar just needs to be open. Both for those who are experiencing suffering right now, but also for those who need to thank God for bringing them out. Because how many of you know that when God does bring you out, He deserves the praise. He deserves all the honor. He deserves all the glory. But not only that, but He calls us to join alongside one another and help each other through. To bear one another's burdens. And so tonight, can we just come together, up at the front, together. Can we just pray with one another?